0: sermon. Um, we just go to the very first slide for me, would you? Thank you. Um, so we're going to cover it, do it in two weeks, which kind of puts my preaching schedule out a bit. So please forgive me, we'll try and catch up somehow. So we're looking at Philippians as, as something completely different and as something topical. We normally work through the Bible book by book, chapter by chapter, just so that we're not choosing what we preach, because there's a real danger in that. You only ever hear the things the pastor's interested in. Uh, so, we want to hear what God's interested in. But today we're having a topical sermon uh, inspired by what we felt as a leadership team, a subject we ought to look at together as a church. So, let me begin. So, whew, I'm, when I was 16, not too long ago, uh, when I was 16, so I'd just become a Christian, I was in my first church, and it was my job to do the collection, go around. Uh, it was just an old fashioned. Basket, below like the one on there. Can we have that picture? Thank you. Uh, below like the one on there, uh, and I dropped it. I mean, I think more than a couple of times. So look, that's not my job. It's not my skill set. Okay, don't give me that job to do. Right? It goes everywhere. But I remember once, uh, there, there were a lot of us in the church, young people from the air cadets. Uh, it was something I was in as a child. It was the Top Gun movie days. So my ambition, like every other 16-year-old, was to be a Top Gun pilot. I'd even written to the U.S. US uh, home Office in uh, embassy in Britain. I've still got my letters asking how I could join the U.S. Navy and fly F-14 Tomcats uh, for the U.S. Uh, I, I never quite got there. But, but uh, so there was a lot of those air cadets in the church at the time. It was, a, it was a form of revival going on in the church. And when I was in the offering that particular morning and taking it around, one of the guys, a sergeant, I remember, Put in 10 quid, 10 pounds. Now, you know, this is back in what, 30 years ago? 10 quid, $20? I mean, that was quite a lot of money, you know, and I thought, wow, you know, that's, that's giving, because it was me giving my 50 pence or 50 cents, you know, you'd call it. Uh, but guess what he did next, immediately after putting in the tenor? Yeah, he did. You've done that before, haven't you, Graham? (laughs) So he put 10 quid in (laughs) and then took out 9 quid. (laughs) You know, and um, and I thought, wow, well, there you go. Uh, It's a priceless memory, excuse the pun. (laughs) Yeah, the thing is, Pete, I don't know what he took out. (laughs) Who knows? (laughs) Yeah, because he did it every week. So maybe he was putting in 10 and covering his shortfall that week. Look, giving is one of those subjects that no pastor who's in his right mind, right, wants to preach about, because people do preach a lot about it. It's it's not something we preach about often, Uh, and so it's with some tentativeness that I do so, but at the same time, I have to do it in the spirit that I preach all my sermons, in the confidence that this is the teaching of the Bible, and as such, It has equal value and weighting to everything else we preach here. So this is God's word that we're expounding. It is on the difficult subject of giving. It's over two weeks, so that's really risky. It means you might not come next week, okay? But we know why you haven't come, (laughs) right? So so bear with me, and we wanna ask, what is giving all about? What's behind it? What does it achieve? What does God think of it? How should we do it? And how much should we give? You know, we're going to try and answer some of those questions over the next fortnight. You won't get all the answers today, so please come back. So let's see what the Bible says. We're in Philippians that, uh, that uh, Brun read for us. And we've got just one heading. The main heading is the secret to not being in financial need. Okay? Do you struggle financially? This is the secret. The secret to not being in financial need. And we've got the one subheading from that that I'll cover the next two weeks. Number one, the only one. Being without need is found in sacrificially giving to the cause of the gospel. That's the heading for the passage, okay? Being without need is found In sacrificially giving to the cause of Christ's gospel. It's an oxymoron, isn't it? How can my need for resources be found in giving away resources? And it's yet what this passage teaches very clearly. That being without need is found in sacrificially giving to the cause of the gospel. Verse 14, it's where we're starting. Yet it was good for you to share in my troubles Paul's writing what do we know about Philippians Paul is writing from where anybody know have a guess three of these epistles are written from that location yes he is in Rome there's a bit more to it he's in Rome he's in prison he's He's writing from prison it's about AD 6061 so it's not quite the imprisonment that would lead to the end of his life He's writing to this church. Why? Look, okay, we did a uh, school of theology yesterday. So it's just coming up. And so if you were on that course yesterday, you know the answer if you were listening. Why does Paul write to the church at Philippi? Sarah, you were on the course. Jim, you were on the course. To say thank you, say thank you for donations, thank you, there you go, they do listen, yeah, and oh, phew, I think i wasted my time here, so yeah, look, he's writing to the Philippians, because this is a huge, great, big, four-chapter thank you note to the church, he's thanking them for all their financial support in his work, his, the support that's helping him right now, but particularly they've supported him at least twice when he was doing mission to the Thessalonians, at least once when he was doing mission to the Corinthians. And here he is having time on his hands, writing to thank them for what they've done. So verse 14, he begins, yet it was good for you to share in my troubles. The trouble is when we handle it in the Bible, there's a real issue we forget sometimes, it didn't come to us in English. Duh. Okay, it came to us in at least two languages, and there's a bit of a third one too, Aramaic. And so look, here it is, to share in my troubles, that word share there is a Greek word, going to come up on the screen for you, I think, if I've done my slides right, if you move forward, please, thank you. It's going to come up there for you, I think we're a couple of slides behind, just move ahead, thank you very much. The word is, oh, it's not even there, so I don't know what I've done with that, but here's the word, okay? Um, So there it is, thank you, this slide there, there we go. It's a Greek word, neo. Okay? Can you see that word there? It means to share in company with, to participate in, to communicate. We often translate that word or, or its derivative, which we're going to look at shortly, as the word fellowship. So Paul isn't just saying you're sharing. We miss something of what he's saying. This is much stronger business, commercial language. It's, it's a word that's very similar to one we know, which well, we often translate fellowship. It's a Greek word you know, you recognize you just when I say it, koinonia. If you heard that word, I think it's the next slide, please. Koinonia, there it is, at the bottom there. So it's related to that word. It means to share or to partner. Okay, so the, the point Paul is making here is that they have partnered with him. The Philippians are investing alongside Paul as partners. It's not just sharing. They're co-workers in business, a, a business enterprise. You have to understand that Paul is engaged in business, and the Philippians are engaging with him. In that business, they're supplying resources, and Paul in that business is the feet on the ground or the hands on deck. So they're giving... The Philippians giving is being of benefit to Paul now in prison, but it's been of benefit for him for the last 10 years when this church began. We said this earlier, but I'll tell you again. Verse 15, I'll show you. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only, 10 years ago. So the the account of founding this church in Philippi is found in Acts 16. You can read about it there. You know, we all know two particular converts of the church of Philippi, Acts 16, have a guess. Two well-known converts of Paul when this church has been founded. The first one is a lady. She was a wealthy lady that dealt in purple cloth. Because of Lydia. Lydia, and then the famous one, the jailer, the Philippian jailer, when he and his whole family get converted, they both are the foundation of this church. Is in Acts 16. So Paul plants the church there with Lydia, with the jailer. And it's from that time on, when Lydia's converted, that, that this partnership is established. Now that Lydia's involved, now that she's supplying the resources, the lion's share at least. And so Paul plants the church, and they begin to share, verse 15, not one church shared, partnered with me in this business of the gospel, except for you. The same is said further down in verse 15. Listen to this. Not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving. Again, look, this is business language, ancient Greek commerce. Giving and receiving is what you do if you trade. So Paul is using trade language and telling them, this is a business. You've been engaged with me doing business together, partnering with me, it's more than just giving, it's a business arrangement. In verse 16, we're told that even when I was in Thessalonica, that's so a neighboring city to Philippi, so he just left Philippi, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need, not just personally, when I was in need to do gospel work. And in 2 Corinthians 11, 9, it goes, when I was there with you needing something, I was not a burden to anyone, But the brothers who came from macedonia macedonia is where philippi is the brothers who came from macedonia are the philippian church who came to paul with gifts of finances whilst paul was in corinth so that he could do gospel work in corinth so this newly formed church aware of paul's lack of resources to do mission because it's not cheap You need to be able to supply your own way and to move from place to place. They entered into partnership as a business and provided everything he needed to do work. Not only money, but Philippines two twenty-five is this. But I think it's necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. So this business partnership is not only costing them to dig deeply into their pockets. They're giving away their best men. And this guy nearly died in the process. And so here they are partnering with Paul. Here's what a commentator writes. Paul is a joyful recipient of generous gifts from his friends, finances, people. But notice the partnership. But they too have received what in this partnership? The gospel and Paul's Personal commitment to them. That's fellowship, a two way interaction. Fellowship. So, as we read in 2 Corinthians 11, they entered into this with them. So, when we think of fellowship, look, here's the reality. When we talk about fellowship, what where does our mind almost always go to? Food, tea, espresso, coffee. What we do after the service, that's fellowship. Go to the Word. Yeah, it's certainly involved in going to the Word. Thank you, uh, Stephanie. Paul is thinking of fellowship and the real meaning of the word fellowship is business, commerce. Fellowship, to think that we're just drinking tea and coffee is to miss the real meaning of fellowship. It's partnership. And so when we give money to the gospel, see, think of it, let me put it this way. If we're engaged in business and we're investing money in that business, Are we giving money away? Is that giving money away? If you are involved in a business and you put money into that business, are you giving money away? No, you're not. You're not giving it away, are you? You're investing it because you have an interest in it. That business is your business interest. So when you give that money, you're never doing it bemoaning, oh no, I've got to give more money away. You're doing it because you know that this is your business. You're putting into your business. And so what the, what the Philippians were doing, friends, in the gospel, when they were giving money, they weren't giving it away. They were for your business. And so I think if we think that when we, we just had the offering. Haven't we? Look, look, here it is. If we think that we've given money away, we've completely missed the point of what we've just done. We haven't given money away, we have invested money into a business that we have an interest in, just as the Philippians did for Paul. You see, for them, the mechanism of that business was to give, and Paul gave them giving back and giving them the gospel. But they gave resources and people every time we give to the gospel, we're not giving away money. We're investing money in something for which we have an interest in. And so the next time we do it, if it's done, I guess, do you use the word stingy in Australia? In a stingy fashion? And the reason it's often done in a stingy fashion, because we feel, don't we, I'm giving away my money! It's mine! I earned it! I own it! I buy Big Macs with it! I do, Okay. Right. Okay. to so give that away is hard but that's not what giving is giving is investing in a business that we have an interest in and as such it completely changes the flavour of it let me try and illustrate this for you okay let me. I'm going to try and pick on somebody here I won't embarrass you uh, it may not work you see because I need to know something about your testimony and the person I was going to use hasn't bothered coming No, he's not here. Uh, Is he all right, Troy? He's back there. Where is he? He's in there, so that's not good. So, look, I'm going to try. So, let me just try randomly. How were you converted, Graham? So, this may fail. It's going to fail. Okay, how were you converted? Yeah, where did it start? Can we have the picture up, please? Where did it start? Yeah, and how? Okay, okay. It started in a church right? So your salvation started a long time ago in a church. How was that church able to do the work necessary to bring about your conversion? Somebody had invested, in that church. Somebody had invested what in that church? Finance. Finances, so that the minister could preach the gospel. So your conversion, Graham, came about because somebody had invested money in the gospel, which then reached you. Having been converted, Graham, what is your most natural instinct in response to money that was invested to bring you to salvation? What's your response to that? For you to likewise invest money so that other people too may come to faith. It worked. <laughs> you never know you see (laughs) okay so can you see the point you see so 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 the reason graham invests in the gospel he's putting money back into a system which he was the beneficiary of and he wants all the people to be the beneficiary of and so he's not giving away money when that bag comes around Is investing in the gospel so that others may too come to faith. So the first thing about giving that we have to get our heads away from, we're not giving it away. We've really lost the gospel when we think that. It's investing in something we're interested in. But secondly, it gets better. It really gets better. Listen to this verse 17. Not that I am looking for a gift, Paul said, Look, I'm not asking for you or seeking your money because I just want money. Because the real reason, but I'm looking for what may be credited to your account. What's that going on about? What's he saying there to them? Pardon? Yeah, what investment? What is this account? What is this investment they've got? Beyond the gospel eternal. Remember what Jesus said? What did Jesus say about storing up treasure and where we should store it? In heaven. The, do you know the minute you come to faith, you take up a tab or you open an account. It's not the commonwealth. It's in the heaven wealth. okay? You open up an account. You do every one of us. I don't know if you're fully aware of this question. Every single believer has an account opened in heaven. Jesus told us, this is what he says, incredible words of Jesus. He goes, this is what we should do because we've got this account in heaven. And listen to this, if you think this is strong, don't shoot the preacher. I'm just a servant, okay? This came from Jesus. Sell your possessions. Really, he said that. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out by selling your possessions and giving to the poor. A treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. What's he saying? What's Jesus saying about how we use our money and how the use of it, where does the use of it go? It does that. That's the first point. The second point is where does it go? The second point. Heaven, but that's two ideas. Heaven for where? I mean, who's heaven? God's heaven. No, no, no yes, he's God's heaven, but it's no, not more. whose treasure in in heaven? Yours. Can you see the point here? The the money we invest in the gospel says Jesus. In case you don't want to believe Paul, okay. Goes directly towards your super? Can I put it like that? Because look, Ralph, your retirement plan isn't that house. If it is, you're to be pitied. Because it will fall down one day. Not, not just not, not not tomorrow, but one day. Okay? Okay. Your retirement, Christian. I wonder if we really understood this. Is heaven? Look, we all take supers out. You know, the great thing about Australia, I mean, it's coming in in Britain too, where it's, it's legislated by the government, that when you take a job on, what happens? You take a job on, your employer pays you cash into your account for the work you've done, for services rendered. And in addition, for every dollar you earn, a percentage of your income has to, by government stipulation, go where? Into your super, so that when you're... 66 and a half, who's 66 and a half? Somebody here, you must be getting closely, you know, if not over it, 66 and a half, okay? When you get there, right, you can draw on it. Now, when you're 16, I remember when I was 16 and we were talking about, we call them pensions in the UK, okay, when we're talking about pension, I was like, why would I want to give away like 20% of my income, because you had to do it personally back in then when I was young, into that. I mean, when you're 16, 66 looks like a long way away, doesn't it? But you know, when you're 46 nearly, 66 isn't so long. See, and if you're more than that, it's not even closer. And so, look, it may, heaven may seem a long way away for us. But we're going to get there one day in faith. And the retirement plan that awaits us, says Jesus, will be directly proportionate to What? according to Jesus, in Luke 12? What What we've invested into his kingdom on earth. I mean, you hear that from Jesus. Look, this isn't televangelism. Just because televangelists abuse all these texts, it doesn't mean that we have to throw them out. We still have to preach them, okay? What we invest in the kingdom has a direct impact on the treasure that we have stored in heaven, says Jesus. Verse 17, I'm not looking for your gift for myself, but I'm looking for what may be credited to your account. It's again, his fiscal language. He's using the whole thing in commercial language, and he wants them to know that every time that they have given sacrificially to the kingdom, Jesus has been transferring a percentage, if you like, of treasure that will be spendable in heaven, into the heavenly account. I don't know what it was like here. Back in the UK, we, we lived in Scotland for a while, up in, the mine, in a mining village, in Scotland's highest village. And during, during the days of mining, you, you didn't get a wage in the way we understood it. You got tokens to do what? Those tokens could only do one thing. Did you have that system here? Spend it, not in the local store, but spend it in the company, in the company store. Right. You couldn't spend them anywhere else. You see, so you worked, and they gave you company tokens that you spent in the company store to supply your need. You see, when we invest in the gospel, look, well, okay, we don't get dollars to use in McDonald's or Hungry Jacks, if you prefer them, or KFC. Is there any more fast food places around here? <laughs> yeah, okay, thank you. <laughs> okay, we get credit that can be spent in the heaven store. And the thing is, the heaven store may not matter to you and me today, but one day it will. One day in heaven, it will matter to you and me what's in our accounts. But just like with retirement, look, those of you who are already retired, once you're retired, how much money goes into your investment retirement super fund? None. It's too late, you see. The employment has ended, the contributions have ended, and all you've got to play with is the contributions that were made when you were earning. You see, when we get to heaven, it's be too late to credit more treasure into their account. It's either done now or there's no treasure to be found. We don't know quite the impact of treasure in heaven. We don't know what that will mean, what that will feel like. But the fact that Jesus talks about it, the fact that he encourages us to store it up, must mean it's of some value. Look, if I said to you, you know, save this up for next Tuesday, when you got to next Tuesday, you'd expect it to be some value to the money you saved up. If we save up in heaven, we don't know quite what treasure will do there, but it'll have some significant value. Let me move on, verse 18. And so, in response to the generosity of the Philippians investment in the gospel. Paul shows that what they've been doing is an act of cultus worship. What does that mean? Sounds like gibberish, doesn't it? It probably possibly is gibberish. But have a guess. What's, what's cultus worship? The clues in the text. What's the cultus? What's, what's the cultus got to do with in Bible days? You know, heard that term? is everything to do with the sacrificial system the temple, the lambs, the priests. The priest, in Old in, in, in Testament days, the only people who could worship God, the only person who really worshiped God and the people, were the temple staff. See, you worship God, how did you worship? If they were the only people who worshiped God, how did you, as a Jew, worship God? By proxy. If you can't vote, what do you do? You sign a letter, so that somebody votes on your behalf. In the Roman world, someone could marry on your behalf. Seriously. You know, you couldn't get there? So he went and married for you. It was obviously your wife, but he stood in for you. He's in proxy. And and so so in the Old Testament days, the way you worshipped, you couldn't worship because God had nothing to do with you, you stinker. I'm not thinking of you, Malachi, in particularly. Your mom, maybe, but not you in particular. Okay? See, you couldn't worship God directly because we were stinkers rebels, sinners, first-class ones, and there's no way we could get anywhere near God, and so there's one man in particular, with all these uh, little minions around him, the Levitical priesthood, okay, uh, Levitical people, there's one man and one man alone who worshiped God for you, and for him to do that, he had to prepare, gather himself, and walk with fear and trepidation into the Holy of Holies, for fear what might happen to him, and they used to apparently tie a rope to his feet, why? That dragon man because you dare not enter God's presence. And he worshipped God for you. Okay? They're the only people who worship God. What's now Paul saying about worship? We can all do it. All do it. And particularly, how are the Philippians worshiping God? By giving money. By giving money. You see, worship. Worship, says Paul, using proper biblical worship terminology. Look at that. That's proper biblical worship terminology. Worship, says Paul, is giving money to the gospel. This is what Gordon Fee, the commentator, writes. The imagery is of the burnt offering, which was understood as a, to, as a fragrant offering to God. The picture is of the aroma of the sacrificial fire, Wafting through heavenwards onto God's nostrils as he it were it's a picture of the sacrificial system and the Philippians by their giving Were doing the equivalent of the high priest as he offered the sacrifice to God It's worship So if worship is involved in cultist language What does that mean about worship you see it's true the temple is gone It's why it was destroyed in A.D. 70. It's true that the sacrificial system is gone, because without the temple you can't sacrifice it. It's true that the priestly system is gone, because there's no more priests. In fact, even the Levitical Levitical members of the Jewish community do not know who the Levites are. So even if the temple was rebuilt, which is an absurd suggestion, there's no way they could re-sacrifice in there, because there's no records to, to prove who the Levitical priestly system is. So you can't sacrifice in there even if you Wanted to. so, But the point is this. Though all those things have gone. Though we don't offer lambs anymore. Though there's no masonry. There's no walls. There's no location. We do still offer sacrifices to Jesus. On an altar. As priests. How? Time. Money. Gathering responding. In fact, you could argue this is another statement, so I won't go into it. The whole of our lives are now enacting individually, you and you Bron, and you Rob, individually what was done for us by the high priest. You are now that priest, offering those very sacrifices. Now, not in a temple, but with your lives. Romans 12. What does Romans 12 say? It's going to come up on the screen. Romans 12, please. Next one. Someone read it. What, are we, what does Paul tell us to do? Individually. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Holy and pleasing to God. So worship now is not a dead lamb. It's a living thing. It's you and it's me. It's done as we lay our lives down. And the way that the Philippian church is worshipping Jesus in proper cultus language is by giving. And giving and giving money and people and prayer and time and care and interest look let me tell you this friends you'll you'll know in this church if you're new to this church this is not worship or rather let me rephrase that this is only a part of worship. is why we don't re- refer to them as the worship team. You notice we didn't say this morning, let's worship when the music started. Because worship, calling singing, worship is an overinflated, exaggerating, hijacked term, and it needs to be brought back. It's why I don't never refer to it as worship. It needs to be redefined. Worship is not singing, worship is offering God a sacrifice acceptable to him that's worship it's the only way you can worship god okay now that does include singing doesn't it but it's not exclusively singing and it's just not helpful calling it worship okay worship is overinflated when we think of it as songs because the philippians are worshiping jesus there's not a single guitar in place There's not a single drum in place. There's not a single microphone. There's no musician. There's nothing of the sort. And these people are worshiping Jesus by cash. By people. By the sacrifice of themselves. Let me let me put it this way. Look, I guess most of us drove to church this morning. Did anybody walk? Nobody walked? Okay, gone are the days when you walk to church. Okay, right. So, look, we drove to church. Now, if, hopefully, we were thinking about worshipping God. If you're honest, when the when term worship came into your mind, if it did come into your mind this morning, what were you thinking? What comes in your heart? Yeah. But what, what specifically? What were we most likely thinking? The service? the songs let me ask you when we were thinking about worship if we were thinking about worship if any time during the week we thought about when we come to church we're going to worship together did any of us think that i'm going to worship god when that offering basket comes around did you think that did you think that did you think that did i think that well i was writing the sermon so you know (laughs) obviously okay can you see the point I think our whole thinking around worship needs to be redefined. That is only a part of worship. In fact, what is happening right now? Tell me what you and myself are doing right now. Worshipping. Worshipping. Tell me what we'll be doing in 20 minutes, God willing. No, 10 minutes, God willing. (laughs) Depends on the speaker. (laughs) Having lunch. But more than that worshiping a form of fellowship but it's an act of worship i think next time we drive to church can i exhort you can i encourage you as i encourage myself next time we're in the bank next time we're setting up a direct debit next time we're handling our salaries to think about worshiping jesus with our wealth see if we never go there if we never think of worshiping jesus with with dollars There's something woefully short in my worship. And in fact, if if I just hand over money without regarding it as worship, it's a form of robbing the value of that from its true place. Paul says that the Ephesians, Ephesians, not Ephesians, the Philippians giving is a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. It is worship. Our giving, let me sum up because I'm finished for today. Our giving is not giving away money. If we think that, we've fallen woefully short of what giving is. Our giving is investing. And you'd be a foolish businessman or a businesswoman if you never invested in your business. I mean, who sets up a business and doesn't invest in it? Because if you don't invest money in your business, what do you get out of it? Nothing. Nothing. When we're giving to Jesus' gospel, we're investing in a business that we have a vested interest in. Number one. Number two, when we're investing in the gospel, when we're handing out dollars, we are transferring resources to an account that you have opened in your name in heaven, says Jesus. You see these? There's nothing in them, meat. <laughs> okay. Right. Pretend, okay? You've got to pretend, right? Can you hear that? Every, every dollar, no exaggeration, that touches the bottom of that tin, that we do for the gospel, for the kingdom. Raises, grows our kingdom account, says Jesus. If we'd be a fool by not investing in a business, and we would be, we'd be an even bigger fool not to invest in our future. Seriously, the biggest fool's going, number two. And number three, the one we just done, giving to the gospel. Giving to the gospel is investing in worship. It's worship at its height, at its best. In fact, there aren't many New Testament passages that talk directly about worship in cultist language. Evangelism is, okay? Uh, A number of other things that don't come to mind just now are, but one of them in particular, even singing in the New Testament isn't used in cultist language, and we call it worship, and there's not a single New Testament text that refers to it with cultist terminology. But when it comes to money, Paul uses direct temple worship language. You could argue it's one of the high points of Christian worship to invest finances into Jesus' kingdom. Now, how all this relates to not being in need personally, okay? you're going to get next week. So if you don't come, you're going to miss the crunch of the message, okay? So we're, next week is verse 19, and then we'll have application. We'll spend the whole session on there, verse 19. And my God will meet all your needs. It's in the text, and it's coming up, okay? And my God, as a consequence of me and you giving to the gospel, as a direct correlation, Paul promises a gospel promise that you can hang your life on, that God will meet all your needs. That's next week's sermon. We'll come back to that. Thank you.